0: Hello, I'm Michael Novogradic, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 2, 2016. This week, 155 years ago, President Abraham Lincoln signed into law the nation's first federal income tax. The date was August 5, 1861. The tax was enacted to help fund the Civil War with an initial tax rate that was equal to 3% for incomes over $800. However, most citizens were exempt from this tax as only about 3% of the population actually earned $800 or more annually. This income tax ultimately was never collected. That's because before the first payment date came due, Congress was preparing a more comprehensive income tax. This more comprehensive income tax was ultimately enacted in 1862, and it set rates at 3% for annual incomes between $600 and $10,000, and 5% for incomes greater than $10,000. Now this income tax was ultimately repealed in 1872, and it wasn't until Congress passed and the states ratified the 16th Amendment in 1913 that we got the federal income tax system that is in place today. To start off our podcast this week, in our general news section, I'll talk about the recently approved 2016 Democratic Party platform, how it compares to the Republican Party platform, and what those priorities could mean for affordable housing, community development, and renewable energy. In our Low-Income Housing Tax Credit section, I'll share an update on a bill that was recently signed into law that will modify several housing programs, including Section 8 and public housing. Then, I'll talk about a new tool released by the Urban Institute and the National Housing Conference that shows why the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit is crucial to building affordable housing. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll discuss a recent bill that was introduced that would double, that's right, double the New Markets Tax Credit Allocation Authority to $7 billion annually for the next three years. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll talk about an updated resource that could help Historic Tax Credit advocates illustrate how effectively the Federal Historic Tax Credit creates jobs and generates revenue in each state. And I'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, where I'll discuss one of the latest state tax credit programs to reach its allocation cap early. This time, it's Louisiana's Solar Energy System Tax Credit. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Democratic Party held its national convention in Philadelphia last week. At the same time, the Democrats released and approved their official 2016 party platform. The final version of the platform maintained many provisions in the draft that Democrats released last month. On the topic of housing, Democrats said they would expand programs to create affordable and workforce housing. More specifically, Democrats said they would substantially increase funding for affordable housing production, the National Housing Trust Fund, the Housing Choice Voucher Program, and other rental assistance programs. The reference to affordable housing production in the platform is a subtle marker for increasing the low-income housing tax credit, which is explicitly mentioned in Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton's position briefs. In terms of community development, the Democrats' plan said it would expand and make permanent the New Markets Tax Credit. The plan would also increase funding for the New Markets Tax Credit and Community Development Block Grant funds, On renewable Energy Tax Credits, Democrats said they would extend tax incentives for energy efficiency and clean energy. As for the Republican platform, the GOP offered a different take on those various programs. The Republican platform now did say that nearly 12 million families spend at least half of their income on rent. However, the plan made no mention of the long-term housing Tax Credit or HUD programs. The GOP focus was instead on advancing homeownership. The Republican plan was also largely silent on community development programs. In terms of renewable energy, Republicans did say they support the development of all forms of energy that are marketable in a free economy without subsidies. The GOP plan said it encourages clean energy by private capital. Well, the Republican and Democratic conventions have wrapped up, and both parties have officially nominated their candidates. In line with the Democratic platform, Hillary Clinton has come out in favor of affordable rental housing programs. Not surprisingly, she is also a focal supporter of expanding and making permanent the New Markets Tax Credit. This program, as you likely know, was implemented during her husband's administration. Clinton has also called for the extension of Renewable Energy Tax Credits, especially the Production Tax Credit. GOP nominee Donald Trump, on the other hand, has been mum on his tax credit views. As we hit the final stretch before the November elections, we can expect to hear more from the presidential candidates on where they stand on these issues. And I have a reminder for you. My column in the August issue of the Novigradic Journal of Tax Credits summarizes the stances Clinton and Trump have taken on tax credit incentives. You can see more at www.novico.com. I'll also tweet any updates. And, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at my handle, at In affordable housing news, I want to start off with a quick update on legislation that we covered in a previous podcast. As expected, President Barack Obama last week signed into law the Housing Opportunity Through Modernization Act of 2016. The bill was previously unanimously passed by the House and the Senate. Among other provisions, the bill streamlines Housing Choice Voucher program requirements, it increases the number of vouchers an agency can have that are project-based, and it permits a greater percentage of units in certain properties that can have project-based vouchers. The bill protects voucher holders from displacement due to fair market rent fluctuations. Now, The bill also allows Section 8 project-based Housing Choice Voucher contracts to be extended from 15 years to 20 years. Now, extending contract terms helps facilitate the use of vouchers for low-income housing tax credit property owners. The Section 8 and public housing provisions of of the bill will go into effect once the head secretary issues regulations or a notice of implementation. In other news, the Urban Institute and the National Housing Conference recently released an online tool to show why it's so difficult to make affordable housing development pencil out. The tool is an Affordable Housing Cost Simulator. The simulator illustrates the challenges in developing affordable housing and the tool shows why resources such as the Low Income Housing Tax Credit are crucial to making affordable housing possible. With the simulator users can adjust their costs and expected revenues in order to make their potential developments financially feasible. Now factors that can be adjusted using the simulator include land costs, vacancy rates, whether or not the development receives long tax credits, and much more. Now what users will find is there's a huge gap between what it costs to build affordable housing and the rents that most tenants can afford to pay. The Urban Institute found that for every 100 extremely low-income households, there are only 29 adequate, affordable, and available rental units. That means two parents who both work minimum wage jobs, might have to wait years to find a safe, affordable place to live with their kids. Now, the tool shows that the Loan Compensating Tax Credit helps address the affordable housing crisis by making developments more feasible. I encourage you to check out the simulator yourself on the Urban Institute's website. You can find their website at www.urban.org. In community development news, a Republican senator last month introduced a bill that, among other rural-focused provisions, would double, yes, double the New Market Tax for Allocation Authority for three years, starting in 2017. This legislation, from Cory Gardner of Colorado, would increase the New Market Tax for Allocation Authority from $3.5 billion per year to $7 billion per year in 2017, 18, and 19. As you know, the CDFI Fund already announced it would combine the 2015 and 16 allocation rounds and award $7 billion this fall. So Gardner's legislation would create a four-year period with an annual $7 billion allocation. And, as you probably recall, the credit is scheduled to expire after the year 2019. Now, Gardner's bill... Would specifically set aside this additional $3.5 billion in new market tax Credit allocation authority entirely for organizations serving rural renewal communities, as defined by the legislation. So, how does the legislation define rural renewal communities? Well, those are low income communities of between 200 and 25,000 people that are also not in a metropolitan area of more than 200,000 people. Now, low income communities, regardless of size, that are within and Indian Reservation, as defined by the Department of the Interior, are also considered r- rural renewal communities. Now it's important to note that the rural renewal community definition in this bill is more expansive than the current laws 20% set aside for non-metropolitan counties. Now, Gardner's bill contains far more than just the new market tax rate changes. There are several economic provisions, including creating a tax credit to be used to eliminate environmental hazards from aging small-town buildings. He's also included job creation tax incentives for rural communities. If the legislation passed, all provisions in Gardner's legislation would begin in the year 2017. At the time of this recording, the bill had no co-sponsors and had been assigned to the Senate Finance Committee. Now, it's unlikely Gardner's bill would advance during this session of Congress, but it is very significant. This bill shows that legislators from both parties continue to look for creative ways to use the New Markets Tax Credit to encourage economic and community development. In this case, Gardner targets rural areas. If you want to see the bill, go to www.NewMarketsCredits.com. The bill is S-3243 and is entitled the Rebuilding and Renewing Rural America Act. In historic tax credit news, Supporters of the Historic Tax Credit now have an updated tool for their advocacy efforts. The Historic Tax Credit Coalition and the National Trust for Historic Preservation have updated the Historic Tax Credit project data that they've compiled for all 50 states. This data depicts Federal Historic Tax Credit projects that receive Part 3 certifications of completed work for the National Park Service for the years between 2002 and 2015. It's arranged by state, and the information includes lists of historic tax credit projects, economic data, and state maps of the project locations. The data shows that in nearly every state, the amount of tax revenue generated at the local, state, and federal level was greater than the amount of tax credits allocated. In some states, it's by hundreds of millions of dollars. For example, between 2002 and 2015, About $483 million of federal historic tax credits were awarded in California. Now what do you think the total revenue was generated in California? That number was $674 million. Now the data shows how the historic tax credit essentially pays for itself and then some. The Historic Tax Credit Coalition and the National Trust are working on expanding their maps and project lists as information becomes available. You can find this public policy resource on the National Trust website. In renewable energy tax credit news, the Louisiana Department of Revenue reports that claims for that state's homeowner solar energy system tax credit has already exceeded its cap. That's the cap for the next three years. A press release from the state's Department of Revenue says that consumers who purchase residential solar systems should no longer expect to receive tax credits. This comes about because the state legislature, in 2015, put a $25 million cap on the credit. The credit is $10 million for fiscal year 2015-16, $10 million for fiscal year 2016-17, and $5 million for fiscal year 2017-18. Louisiana law calls for tax credit claims to be approved on a first-come, first-served basis. The state says that the amount of credits requested by taxpayers exceeds the total three-year cap by 14 million dollars. Now you might remember that a few weeks ago we reported on a similar situation in New Mexico. There, the state hit the cap for this year in the first five months. The Louisiana program covers 50% of the first $25,000 spent by a consumer on solar panels. Now the credit was implemented back in 2008 and the state reports that it is granted nearly 150 million dollars in the credits since 2009. Now, in addition to the annual caps passed last year, the legislation also limited the credits to $10,000 per taxpayer for systems installed after July 1, 2015. The Louisiana credit, by the way, can be combined with the federal solar credit, which covers an additional 30%. Now, news about the lack of credits is particularly bad for homeowners who purchased a system in 2015 but will be denied the credit. The lack of availability of credits could end up costing them thousands of dollars that they expected to receive in state tax credit benefits. There is, though, a little good news in Louisiana. There remains some room under the cap for leased systems. That credit has the same limits as those for purchase systems. Again, this news is a reminder of how effective tax credit programs can be in encouraging development of such things as solar power in Louisiana and elsewhere, as we see, the demand is tremendous. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I'll be on vacation for the next two weeks, so I invited my colleague, Peter Lawrence, in our Washington, D.C. office to step in as a guest host for next week's August 9th Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. And then, on August 16th, we'll take a break for a week, and I'll be back with you for our August 23rd Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogradic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradic and Company LLP. Archived discussions are available online at wwwnovacodecom forward slash podcast, or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday Podcast in iTunes. & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.